Hello everyone and welcome back to the Film Score Podcast. No guests today, it's all me, back for a, another edition of a quarterly recap. This time I'll be covering some of the best, most notable scores from January, February, March 2023. And I already know what you're thinking. Nick, it is June. Yeah, I tend to procrastinate on these. And it's even worse with the monthly wrap-ups that I write those articles. I've got a December in my pocket. That's how far back this backlog is. But it's funny, every single time I do one of these, it's the same. I put it off and put it off and put it off, convinced that nothing's going to come out. And then I sit down and basically talk for 30, 40 minutes straight. Luckily, for your sakes, I edit it down a little bit. And yet, even though that happens every single time, I never learn. What are you going to do? First up is Ennis Main by Mark Jenkin, and that's E-N-Y-S-M-E-N. That's a Cornish pronunciation. Took me quite a while to realize exactly how to say it. And this is a really cool score. It's very minimal. What Jenkin does is really these explorations with synths, tape loops, old keyboards, things like that, toying around with sounds, structures, textures, atmospheres, and then just layering them on top of each other. And it's really fitting for this film because I think it takes place in the early 70s. We follow this main character isolated on an island off the coast of Cornwall, basically in the middle of the ocean, slowly sort of loses it. And the score does the same thing. It's it's eerie, it's mesmerizing. It fits with the time period, but without hitting you over the head with it. Unlike a lot of, say, 80s throwback synth scores, especially those where they're winking and saying, hey, we're in the 80s, we're in the 80s. It doesn't happen here. Eventually, you as the listener, as the viewer, find yourself also trapped in this 70s hellscape isolated but not alone. You're surrounded, haunted by specters, by some unknown inhabiting the island, and slowly creeping up on you. Now Mark will always say that he's not a musician, not a film score, a composer. Frankly, I don't really care what he says. It's great stuff. Bait, another great score if you haven't heard it. Always excited to hear what he has come out. Next is After Sun by Oliver Coates, Ollie Coates. And I know that this is actually a 2022 film, but the score came out in January, so I'm throwing it in here. In addition to After Sun, Ollie released significant other, I want to say, second half, maybe fourth quarter of 2022, both on Inveda. He's really coming out as a, right now, under-the-radar composer film score, but... Really good stuff. Very ambient, tonal, slow moving. Here, it's like we're living in this world of dreams and memory, inhabiting somebody else's remembrance. They're thinking back into the past, and his score takes the listener and drops us off into that montage of memories, for better or worse. You can feel the rumination, the struggle, the hope, the nostalgia, the regret. In that sense, it, it not musically, but in the effect that it has, reminds me of 
John Williams score for The Fablemans, which made me feel like you're living through or living out somebody else's nostalgia. Not a bad comparison. Next up is Gabriel Yared's score for L'Envol. And listen, and I really should figure this out. I don't know how to pronounce French. I don't speak French. I will routinely butcher the language. And I'm sorry for that. This is a just absolutely gorgeous score. Certainly one of the best so far this year. And remember, I'm, I'm recording this in early June, so five and a half months. This is good, really good. It's really, really beautiful, intimate orchestral work that has some vocals from singer Juliette Juan. Just lovely. And it's really, really dreamy, like a fever dream. You're inside this fantasy. It transports you into this fantasy of love, making you, the listener, fall in love. And it doesn't really matter who or what with. But, I mean, what a profound effect. And then in May, in a score I'll, I'll cover... Yeah, this rate in four months or something. But he had a score, L'Amour la Forêt's uh, Love of the Forest, I assume, which is also just really gorgeous. What a great year he's having so far. Fingers crossed that he has at least one other score come out this year, too, because it'll be one of the strongest years in a long time we'll have had. And tying this into Mark Jenkins' score for Ennis Main. Nicholas Codine has a score, Fire of Love, which also feels like a maybe late 60s, early 70s throwback score. Unlike Ennis Main, which I think you could mistake for something in the 70s, this does feel like a modern throwback in certain ways. Something more modern done in stylings and in palettes of the time. So a lot of electronics, some slight psychedelic rock moments. It's a little long, and I think it's because the release in particular is both music from the documentary and music inspired by it. So there's more material in here. Very, very cool listen. Next one up is Chris Young's score for The Offering. And it's funny because Chris has a lot of, I mean, quite iconic horror scores under his belt. And he's got a lot of other big non-horror scores as well. And yet, maybe I'm just misremembering in the moment. It feels like he hasn't had a lot of big things come out recently. And I'll be honest, the offering is not going to change that. It's a really weird score release. Four tracks, about 40 minutes. Really atmospheric horror. It feels unstructured, which I think makes it a bit more frightening. And not unstructured in a droning sense, necessarily, but as if he's creating a, a horror soundscape or something. Uh, sounds you could put in a haunted house that kind of create an immersive lived experience. Part of that is there aren't really typical stingers in there. It's just unsettling. And the length of some of these tracks, I think one is about three minutes, the other three range from, let's say, about 8 to 15 minutes. And those lengths just let them build and build and build in a way that you don't really see in film music, at least in these standalone releases. It's something that I think you could learn a lot from, reminiscent of Drone Doom albums that have 
massive tracks that really, really build up over time. It takes patience, but that patience, very worth it. I always get excited when I see a Tim Hecker scored release. Tim's, and I know he hates this in some ways, or at least he wishes he wasn't boxed in like this, but he's been one of the biggest names in ambient music for the last 15, 20 years, let's say. So it was wild for me to have the chance to interview him earlier this year for Infinity Pool. I mean, this guy's a legend. Someone I've been listening to for almost 15 years, 12 years. Wild experience. So him dipping his toes into film music and TV as well, where he did, um, I think, The North Water or something like that. It's very cool because he just has a very other, different sound. There's nobody like him in film music. And Infinity Pool is... It's challenging. There's a lot of really strange sounds going on here. Some of them coming from very bizarre sources. Like, he told me that he found recordings of Mediterranean cicadas and just messed with them, modulated them, turned them into uh, almost strings, I think, creating kind of a Baltic banjo, he calls it. And so you hear these noises, these sounds that are really unlike anything you've ever heard. But it requires a, a patience and a dedicated, careful ear to listen to these cues, these tracks, because there's so much in there, there's so many things to pluck out. And it's easy, I think, on a first listen or a first watch to hear a sort of sonic sludge instead. And I know that that was my experience with Mark Corbin's score for The Black Phone. It took me, I don't know, let's say three listens before that one really clicked with me, other than the opening credits cue. Infinity Pool hit me on first listen, first watch, but it won't do that for everyone, and if it doesn't, and you have any interest in this style, give it more time. And even if this isn't your style and it doesn't hit you, try it some more, because everyone needs to force themselves to be exposed to things that they don't like, they're not used to, because... Not growing in your music tastes, or at least your music experiences and appreciations, not just music, but any type of art, is, in my view, a very stifled experience. I know some people just listen to the same thing, the same style, same genre they have for decades, and enjoy it, but push yourself a little bit. The really cool score was Three Ways by Emile Sankofa. There's a really odd mix of sounds and styles here. So we got a lot of cool, sort of lighter jazz moments, jazz drumming in particular, and then some styles that almost like simulate sex and female orgasm. And then I think it's Emily's own vocals on top at times as well. I don't know if I've really heard something quite like that. It's bit erotic, not quite seductive, but music that is sex on the mind without really being crass or pornographic. It's a really hard balance, and <laughs> the, the opposite is there's a Guns N' Roses track, and I don't remember what one it is, but the beginning has a sample of Axl Rose and someone else, and that gets fully into the crass side. 
Fortunately, MLA is a bit more of a delicate artistic approach. It's really cool. Christoph Beck has two big scores that came out for films that ended up being relative box office and critical disappointments and audience disappointments. One is Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania, and the other is Shazam, Fury of the Gods. And I'm going to lump both of these in here because, really because of something that I think it was Chris Lord said, one of the writers in Across the Spider-Verse, where he, he said that there's not necessarily something called superhero fatigue, but instead it's a fatigue about what we're used to, where we watch films and it feels too familiar, like something that we have seen a dozen times already. Of course, it's a comment on some of the recent DC and Marvel films, but I think it applies to some of the music as well. And frankly, you could make the same comparison for Black Adam, Lauren Balfe's score from, I don't know, April or May. I mean, these are all solid, very, very competent scores by good composers, and yet it just feels like missing something. feels like we have heard this type of music 20, 30, 40 times already, and I know that I'm getting ahead of myself, but then you compare it to something like Daniel Pemberton's score for Across the Spider-Verse, and you can go, oh, there's actually a lot you can do in this style, in this genre, if you're allowed to do something different. And I think that the studios have kind of forced the music of these films to stay in a tried-and-true box. And while it works and it's solid, I think it also constrains these composers and constrains the scores as well, which is unfortunate. I always get excited by Clint Mansell's scores. He's usually good for one or two a year, always takes his time. I don't know what else he has on the slate, if anything, for this year. I hope there's something more, but you never know. For this period, he had a score called Sharper, and it's one that I've heard a few times already, and for whatever reason, it doesn't leave a massive impression on me. It's still good, but it's a bit more conventional Mansell. You compare it to... His score for In the Earth, let's say, which was, I think, 2021, which got just wild, psychedelic, mind-blowing stuff. This is more restrained, more conventional, but it's still very immersive. It lulls you out of this world, out of your seat, out of wherever you are listening or watching, and pulls you into a different world, into a world of, of mystery asks questions, forces you to ask questions, and think and ponder, although you might not know what you're pondering. Creed Three by Joseph Shirley. It's interesting seeing uh, Ludwig Göransson, who's kind of brought Shirley on in both The Mandalorian and the Creed films, and I'm sure other projects as well. And it's interesting seeing Goranson sort of hand these projects off. I think Mandalorian Season 3 was fully by Joseph Shirley. Creed 3 was as well after Goranson did primarily the first two uh, seasons, first two movies. I might be getting that wrong with Mandalorian. Maybe I'm thinking of the book of Boba Fett. Either way. But it raises a, a, a question of how well is this guy going to do? I mean, Creed films have very good scores, and 
in one sense, it is unfair to compare them to Gorenson's music. It's an Academy Award winner who's been scoring for, what, a decade plus? With just a ton of great things under his belt. Trying to fill that void is tough, and being compared directly to that is... It's a high bar. But Joseph Shirley does a really good job, I think. Yeah, it's not on the same level, but it's still really exhilarating. It's still fun. It's exciting. It keeps that mixture of modern orchestral with more mainstream music aspects as well. Maybe not quite the same level, the same sophistication, but it gives a good punch in the face. It's muscular. And in one sense, you know, what more can you ask? And so it'll be exciting to see Shirley continue to progress his career, move more and more on his own as well, and develop more of that voice and move out of that shadow of Gorenson. So a really exciting composer that I know has a lot of scores out there, but that I don't really know them, is Jung Jae-il, South Korean composer whose latest score is Broker. And now, I assume that most listeners will most know him from his score for Parasite, which was just a fantastic classical piece. I was actually almost shocked at how good it was. Just a fantastic classical score. So this is probably the only other thing I've heard from him, and shame on me, really, especially given how much I liked Parasite. Broker's a very different palette. It's stripped down, more minimal, there's more acoustic guitar, almost folkier elements, and piano thrown in too, and it's restrained, more thoughtful, more meditative. It doesn't have the same holy crap feel for me, but it's still really good stuff. I've seen others recommend other Jung Jae-il scores too. I don't know how many times I can chastise myself for not spending more time finding out about him. I'll go on a limb and say probably the same for a lot of people listening. And really, I think there's probably a lot of very good Korean East Asian scores out there that I don't know, and probably a lot of other folks in the US, UK, haven't heard. And there's someone from Thailand who's recommended me a, a number of Thai scores that have all been really good, but they're pieces that just don't make it out here. And they don't really get any fanfare, any coverage, and it's a shame because getting a lot of great art that just goes totally unknown here. An example is I completely missed the score for Drive My Car when it came out. Found it maybe four or five months later, and it quickly became one of my favorites of 2021. And that was, all things considered, a pretty big film. So there are blind spots, and I'll try to fill them, but I can only do so much especially because I have those same ones. I'm getting a, long, a little long in the tooth on this. One other score that I really want to cover is Supercell by Corey Wallace. A lot of people complain about fewer scores that have really classic orchestral thematic pieces in them. And Corey Wallace's Supercell fills that gap to a, a pretty good extent. And it's particularly surprising because this is very indie film. So you don't hear this type of music in, in most films generally, even ones that have the budget for it, and you really don't expect it on a film like this. And it does feel familiar, I think, in a, a throwback to, I don't know, Amblin stuff, stuff from the 80s. There's a, a very hard to describe feeling of the type of orchestral scores 
coming out in films like that. And so it was cool seeing a, a genuine grassroots moment created for this score. Still not a ton of people have heard it, so if that's your style, and I think it is for a lot of people, give it a listen. With what he was able to do for a film like this with a small budget, it reminds me of Andrew Scott Bell as well for his score on the micro-budget film Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey. The whole film had a budget of like 50 grand or something, and yet he also had a really textured, thematic score. There's really cool things being done in all budget levels. And you'll see a lot of people talking about this, maybe not quite the micro-budget level, but the smaller-budget indie level gives a lot of opportunity for composers. And it's cool seeing people make the most of that opportunity. I'll run through a few more and then call it a day. Gary Gunn's score for 1001. Very cool, bit funky, feels a little trip-hoppy almost. The first time I heard it reminded me of things like Nightmares on Wax, which... Was that like mid-late 90s? Music that I hadn't heard in probably eight years? It's very nostalgic, but it also isn't derivative. He definitely makes it its own. A few big ones I've almost forgotten. Dungeons & Dragons, Honor Among Thieves by Lauren Balf. Very cool fantasy fair. Mixes in modern aspects as well. I always lament the lack of fantasy music, fantasy scores, films. So it's nice having the rare entry end. Thankfully, it's done well. John Wick Chapter 4, Tyler Bates and Joel J. Richard. I chatted with Tyler about this really muscular, aggressive music. Like the film itself, it gets bigger with every single chapter in this series. And there's so much in here. They pull so many genres, styles together, and flex it right in your face. Paul Leonard Morgan's score for Boston Strangler. Really good piano work, very hypnotic, mesmerizing repetition. You can hear the Philip Glass influence in there again, though. Not derivative. It's an influence. It's an homage. It is not a mimicry. 81 minutes. Long for a score, but it works here. Although, look, I'm a sucker for this style. I'll listen to Glass's three, four-hour works as well, so maybe I'm the wrong person to get this recommendation from. Quite a few other good ones that I've probably missed, probably forgotten, or simply don't want to bombard you with. Bear McCreary at a score, We Have a Ghost. Actually been, I think, a quiet year for him. Probably things behind the scenes cooking, or God forbid I've missed a couple. We'll see. A lot of great stuff, a lot of great stuff coming out, a lot of great stuff that's come out. April, May, so far in June. That's an exciting year. I say that about every year, but if you've got open ears, a lot of stuff, many genres. Changing gears, season three, starting to wrap up. Got a few more interviews left, and then I'm calling it a day. We're not done yet, though, so keep those ears open. You'll hear from me soon.